The A-List is sponsored by Ad House Advertising School, where you get 10 weeks of live Zoom classes with a working ad pro. Ad nerds from all over the world have discovered Ad House as the affordable alternative to, or precursor to, traditional ad schools. Ad House classes max out at 14 students, so you get personalized instruction, and your classmates can become lifelong colleagues in your advertising career. The instructors at Ad House are all A-list creatives from top agencies and brands. Some have even been guests on the A-list podcast. Who knows? You might just meet your future boss. And Ad House classes happen on Zoom at night because you shouldn't have to quit your day job or move cities to take an ad class. Class schedule, prices, application information, and more can be found at adhousenyc.com. Apply today. That's adhousenyc.com. Ad House Advertising School for ad nerds only. Hello, Ad Nerd. This is the A-List Podcast, the podcast that asks the world's top advertising professionals how they got started in the business. I'm your host, Tom Chrisman, creative for hire at tomchrisman.net, and one of the head ad nerds at Ad House Advertising School. Today, you'll hear my conversation with Soraya Dorbin, Executive Creative Director at Quigley Simpson, an independent female-owned agency in Los Angeles that unites brand and demand for results that matter. Soraya found photography in high school, a passion that led to her becoming an ad nerd pretty early on. She worked at some great agencies from back in the day. Ad nerds will recognize such names as Dancer Fitzgerald San Francisco and Della Femina LA. If you don't know them, look them up. She finally got her dream job at Shiat Day Mojo, but sometimes achieving your dreams isn't all it's cracked up to be. There's a reason they called it Shiat Day and Night back then. Soraya and I talk about interpreting feedback, the importance of guidance when you're just starting out, and the three keys to a great book. Be yourself, have an attitude, and say something interesting. Oh, and there's a very funny story from Soraya's Della Femina days involving a stripper. It was a different time. So many great stories in this one. So now, without further ado, here's my conversation with Soraya Dorbin. Soraya, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, Tom. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, a big fan of, of your stuff. And uh, I think, uh, you know, it's, there's so many people out there at so many agencies uh, that it's, uh, I could be doing this for, uh, for decades. And it's so great to be able to meet uh, new people. So I love this uh, part of my job. Um, so you're at Quigley Simpson, right? You're I am. Running yeah. the show there. How long have you been there? It's coming up on 10 years. Oh my goodness. That's like a hundred years in advertising time, right? Yeah. I never used to stay places any like more than a year and a half or two years, but um, yeah, it's been a very comfortable home for me and I love our team. Yeah. Happy there. Yeah. And where physically, where is the agency? It's in Brentwood in a building that used to house back in the day when I was a kid in the business, used to house a lot of big agencies like Footcone, BDB. Oh, wow. um, and is Brentwood the like Madison Avenue of LA? Has that been always the sort of, is that the area that all the agencies? 
it never really was. I mean, back when I first started in the business, Footcone was in that building and yeah, maybe one other, but you know, mid city was where it was at. Oh, okay. Like what's now Koreatown was like where all the big agencies were. Oh, okay. A few downtown. Yeah. And then later there were a few of us who moved over to Venice. Ah. Um, and now everyone is over there in Playa. That's right. And where did you grow up? Did you grow up in LA? So I'm an LA native. Wow. Born here, but not raised here. Um, what does that mean? I moved around a lot as a kid. Why? And I know we get into my origin story, but that's a defining characteristic of my early life. How so? What, why'd you move around? What, what was the... So uh, my parents were really bohemian. They met on the beach in Venice. Yeah. Um, and they each, um, well, they split up very early. So I don't think it was a long-term, meant to be a long-term romance. But yeah. I was entering the picture. So they got married, but it didn't last. And I think they each were just both, they were young and searching for meaning in their life and what their path was going to be. So they each yeah. moved that. And they each moved what? They each moved a lot. Oh. A lot. And they had joint custody of me. So it seemed like whenever I was living with one, the other one would make a move. So by the time I went back to the other parent, they were in a new town or a new state. Um, oh, my and goodness. They with that one for a year and then go back to the other one and they would have moved somewhere else. So I was kind of the new kid in school every year of my life growing up. And did you have brothers and sisters or was it just you? Half brothers. So they each remarried several times and had other kids. So I was okay. a child of that union, but I have two half brothers. So and advertising is perfect for you because it's all about temporary and like wherever you're, <laughs> it's just, you it's, were, you were raised for it. Yeah, I was. I mean, I was raised for the, the 30 second attention span. <laughs> Were you, how did you find advertising? Were you, uh, were either of your parents in it or was it something that you just watched growing up? You watched a lot of TV, I'm assuming, since you were. Not at all. So my no? parents were complete hippies. We didn't uh -huh. have TV. They're artists. My mom is uh, like artistic and culinary, creative in a lot of ways. Um, she made like flavored vinegars when nobody was doing that. My dad was a poet. Um, oh goodness, they really were hippies. No, they really were hippies. And advertising was not respectable, like yeah. a path for, for someone from my family. Um, but it started for me with photography, believe it or not, because I'm a writer. I'm, you know, my career started with copywriting. But yeah. for me, my interest in advertising started with photography in high school. Okay. We had a really sophisticated curriculum in my high school. For photography, it was like a two-year program that you could go through. And I was going to be a commercial photographer, I thought, because there was a lot of cool stuff going on artistically with photography. These, I don't want to out myself, but these were the days where you could open Vogue and see Helmut Newton's work in Vogue. Yeah. So it was a really interesting path. What college was that? No, this was high school. Oh, high, what high school was that? Yeah. Sorry, that's what I meant. It was in a little town called Lompoc, where my mom had moved. Um, a very rural, agricultural, and military town. Okay. With not much going on for a kid like me, so I really took to photography. It was a big football town. Yeah. 
Yeah. Why did they have a photography uh, program at this school in the middle of nowhere? I think they brought a teacher in to teach photography and he just ran with it and they let him because, you know, yeah. some kids needed an outlet. And he was amazing. I mean, we learned everything in the darkroom. We developed our own um, film, yeah. you know, and then we yep. developed our own prints. And he gave us, there were different classes based on what kind of camera you were going to use, everything from like street photography to commercial, like large format cameras. Yeah. Um, and it was somewhere toward the end when I moved into studio photography with the large format camera that I lost interest because I was really more into the street photography. Right. Uh, being on the move. But at any rate, it was around that time that I learned that advertising photographers don't actually come up with the ideas unless you're Helmut Newton. Right. But I learned about this thing called an advertising agency and a creative team that consisted of a writer and an art director. Yeah. And those were really the people coming up with the ideas. How and did so you, how did you learn that? Were, were you just in a class and you were like, somebody said it at one point or did you just. So I told you my dad was a poet and he was, yeah. but he was a librarian. So I learned mm -hmm. from very, very early childhood how to do research. Oh. And this was obviously before the internet. So I just knew how to find things out. And Your dad taught you the Dewey Decimal System. He did. <laughs> I love the Dewey Decimal System. Yeah, we used to have the system, kids. And you had to know what number. <laughs> or there was a system called librarians are super cool people and they're super helpful and you can ask them anything and they will find out for you. Yeah, we still have that system in this country, yeah, as far as I know. So I was really interested in advertising and I started poking around into, you know, college programs and career paths. And that's how I figured out, oh, I need to be a creative and I can't draw even a box. So, and writing had always been my strength. I didn't think I could ever do anything with it because my yeah. dad, oh, he didn't make money writing, but it's just, you know, that's, that was what I did well. So I thought, oh, I could be a writer and do this. So that's how I got into it. And then I just found my way into a program um, that was interesting at San Jose State. Okay. Advertising major. Yeah. But there were classes, like a copywriting class was taught with a textbook and you mm -hmm. never wrote anything. So <laughs> it was very different from the programs that we have. Yeah, now. no, I, I remember that too. Like having, having classes at FIT that, uh, that were just like out of a book and you're like, you don't really learn anything that way, do you? No, um, I remember a chapter in the book was like the 11 kinds of headlines. Oh, I want to read that chapter. Oh, I think there might be 11, more than 11. There might be more than 11. <laughs> um, so, so you get this like kind of weird, so you, you, but you're an advertising major at San Jose State. And were there many advertising majors at San Jose State? Quite a lot. And a lot of them went on to be like account managers at the San Jose Mercury News selling ad space. <laughs> um, but I will say this. There was a professor there named Marshall who ran the senior seminar, uh -huh. which he did in tandem with the four A's. Um, actually, it may have been AAF. I can't remember. Okay. But one of the big, you know, industry yeah. organizations that sponsored a competition among advertising programs for colleges and he was obsessed with this competition and he won it his team won a lot and the year that i was a senior we actually won the national competition 
And that's really cool because you had to put together a campaign. You got an assignment from an agency partner, you know, through this organization. Yeah. And you competed at a regional level and then like a greater regional level. And then there's a big competition in DC that was nationwide. Yeah. And we won. And the prize was to go to New York. Um, The assignment that year was Burger King. So remember who their agency was. It was probably. It was DDB maybe. Oh, or great. It wasn't DDB, but it was some shop in in New York. DMBNB maybe. Maybe. I don't know. What year? What year is this? Oh, really? (laughs) We don't have to say that. (laughs) Anyway. We got to go to this agency in New York and get a tour and do mock interviews. And it was very cool. So it ended up being a great experience for me. And there was also an internship program at this, in this, in this program at San Jose State. Uh So I spent a summer in the creative department at Dancer, Fitzgerald Sample. For those of you listening, none of you have heard of that agency, but it used to be one of the big four agencies. It was one of the tops. Uh, and that was that in that in New York was their was their main office dancer. I or? did my internship in San Francisco because okay. um, I was going to school in the Bay Area. Yeah. So yeah, it was, that was an interesting experience. My first day, they stuck me. Their their plan for the interns was like you do a week in every department. Uh-huh. First day was in the media department, and at lunch, I went to HR and I said no, I can't do this. Can you just put me in the creative department for six weeks? And they had just laid off everyone, but about five people. Ah. So one of the ACDs took me under his wing and he just gave me a ton of assignments because he didn't have any staff. He was a great guy. He ended up being a really good friend and mentor to me. And yeah, it was a great experience. I learned how to do what I do. That's great. I'll cut that out that you don't remember his name. Don't worry. 20. I guess I was 20 or 21. You were 20 or 21 and you're writing ads. Like, right. You're like, you're in there. Did yes. you, when, 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 uh, did you think like, oh no, I've really stepped in it now. I got to actually do this stuff. Or was it like, yeah, bring it on. Oh yeah. Bring it on. I'm ready. So ready. And what were the first, what were your first assignments? Like, was it, were you just like lost or did you kind of know what kinda, to do? I kind of knew. I don't know. Just. It just felt I, right. It just felt like you're like yeah. that was what you were supposed to do. We did have TV when I was in high school, and I started noticing that I was like yelling at the TV a lot and coming up with like what they could have done better in the commercial. Yeah. So I felt like I had a sense of how to do it. But it was mostly print back in those days. You know, I was doing like newspaper ads. Yeah. And uh, what was Dancer Fitzgerald like? What 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 was the what was the vibe there? What was the culture? They just laid off everybody, so I guess it, it was, was dark, man. It was so dark. Like when I got to the creative department, this old, like grizzled, he looked homeless, was walking down the hall, probably on his way out after having gotten laid off. Yeah. And you know, I was introduced to him as the new intern, and he was like, "Turn back! Don't do it! Change your life!" I mean, it was like hilarious yeah um but that didn't deter you you're young nothing deters you you want what you want you're gonna make it happen where do you live now i live in brentwood well south of brentwood kind of a no man's land of west la uh-huh um really close to to what our office oh really oh that's good um so 
So you're at Dancer Fitzgerald. The the you weren't deterred by this guy saying, you know, this is a mess. Get out of here. Uh, how long how long was that internship? Did you get a job out of it? No, it was like a six week internship. I didn't like it there. I mean, it wasn't you know, it wasn't yeah. a place I wanted to go back to. I yeah. had a one track mind. I wanted to get to Shiat Day. I knew about Shiat Day. I was you know, this was. I'll just out myself. This was in 1984, literally. Yeah. Yep. Um, 1983 is when I started um, at San Jose State, and the 1984 commercial had come out. Yeah. While I was in school, and I was like, "That's where it's at. That's I got to get there." So everything I did from that moment was designed to get me. And you were right around the corner. You know, you you like you you were from the place where that came from. You know. Uh, for people who don't know, uh, Shiat Day Mojo in LA made that. I mean, at the time they were downtown. They weren't anywhere near Venice. They were oh, okay. They moved to Venice later. Yeah. Um. So you saw that ad, and you were just like, "I gotta, I gotta get into this. It's a oh, cultural yeah. moment." Yeah. Uh. So where'd you go after after your internship? What did you do then? So I went back to school, finished school. That was in like the summer between my junior and senior year. Um. Did that competition. Um, moved back to LA. My grandparents lived here. I came down and like moved in with them while I put my book together. Yeah. Um, cause back then it was like physical, you know, yeah. you had, physically you had to make your ads and laminate them. Yeah. And you had to find pictures and you had to, you had to like hire an art director to do your lettering for you. I mean, there were no computers. It was like yeah. my ad. Can you sketch it and do the lettering and, yeah. you know, like with markers, they were marker comps back then. Yep. Um, and then it was just a matter of like showing your book around and trying to get a foot in the door. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people were not interested in talking to somebody starting out. And some people were very gracious and sat with me and went through my book. I actually talked to Bill Hamilton at Shiat, who went through my book and just said, yeah, just keep going. You'll be fine. Yeah. And I sat there thinking, huh? I don't know what that means. And then I finally found someone who actually was honest with me. Right. And that was um, Paul Kai, another agency nobody's ever heard of anymore. But there was a great shop in L.A. called Kai Donna Perlstein. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul Kai was the writer and founder of that agency. And he went through my book and told me what was wrong with it. And that was the turning point. Then I, it clicked. It just yeah. finally clicked. Oh. You got to have attitude. You got to kind of be yourself and bring your own voice into the work and um, have a point of view. Yeah, because because people don't want to see just like, oh, you you figured out the formula. They want to see what you're all about. Right. Yeah, or just, you know, say something interesting. I wasn't very interesting at first. So I finally got it. Something finally clicked and I had to redo my book. And um, I finally found a job. When you redid your book and, and putting yourself, I just want to sit in that for a second, because putting yourself in your, in your work, what did that mean to you? Well, I guess all I mean is you have to have a voice as a copywriter, you know, obviously the brand is the voice, but when you're doing, you're making a book um, and a lot of the assignments are just fun, little weird things. Maybe they're dog washing service or something like that. There's no established brand voice. Yeah. You have to show your chops by bringing your own voice to bear, whether that's irreverent or really smart or, you know, whatever it is. 
your writing has to have a point of view and an attitude. And I, what was yours at that point? I mean, I've just, my whole generation was the sarcastic, cynical generation. Yes. You know, that was my natural voice. And we still are. We still are. We're, we're so good. Generation X is so cool with this whole sitting at home thing. We are great with it. We're so good with it. I yeah. Think millennials, you know, the millennials are so lovely. They're so earnest and social and yeah. generous and kind and they want to be around. Every- I'm fine. I'm just like a misanthrope at home. I'm fine where I am. This is our entire teen years were spent uh, by ourselves listening to uh, records. Albums. So. Yeah. Listening to albums. <laughs> um, so, so you, you finally get that, that uh, and it was Paul Kai, you said? Yeah, Paul Kai. He was I, I got to awesome. look him up. K-A-I, is it? K-A-Y-A. K-A-Y-A. K-A-Y-E. K-A-Y-E. Oh, yeah. Okay. I know that name. I always thought it was K. M- it's Kai. M- no, it no, you would know better than me. I don't know At least that's yeah. how he always said it. That's awesome. Um, and, and what did you do after that? You, you, put, you put your book, how long did it take to get that book together? I started over. I was like temping and doing crappy jobs and just working on my book all the time, taking some classes, um, getting a little bit better every time. And then I, I finally found a job at this really funny, tiny little agency in West Hollywood which I won't name, nobody's ever heard of it. But interestingly, a lot of really great creatives worked there Um, because he was the owner was kind of cheap and he would hire people with no experience because he didn't want to pay very much so um i worked with cameron day at this little shop we started together at this tiny little shop with a bunch of other great people and um yeah that was my first job but of course the second i got there i was like i gotta move on i gotta keep working on my book um you know, everything was like a stepping stone to the next thing yeah. that was going to be closer to Shiat. Because that's where you wanted to go. You had it in your head. I want to work at Shiat Day. And now you're working with the son of one of the Shiat Day people, right? Like Cameron yeah. Day. Yeah. His dad was Day of Shiat Day. Um, and it, like, he seems really cool, by the way. I, I've only known him on, on LinkedIn. And, and he's been so nice about, about Ad House and like touting us and things. Um, but, uh, but how, what was it like there? Was it just like a bunch of cool young people and you had a great time? It was just, it was like a den of wolves. We were just raised by wolves running around on our own, trying to figure out how to do stuff and doing stuff and having fun with each other. It was, it was great first experience because it was low risk. Yeah. You know? Um, and we learned, we got experience and we learned and we got to know each other and, and then we all moved on. Yeah. In our, in our turn, you know? Yeah. Um, so my next job was J. Walter Thompson. Oh, you went from, you went from pack of wolves to like, let's put on yeah. a suit. <laughs> well, no, we didn't have to wear oh, Okay. You didn't have but that. Right? The ECD wore a suit. Yeah. That was that kind of place for sure. Yeah. Um, but it was great. You know, it was like more legit. I worked on real brands, learned how to, Think about different brands and different brand voices. Work what, on. what brands did you work on there? I worked on, <laughs> one of their main accounts was this health club that is now, I think, 24-hour fitness maybe, but it was called Health and Tennis. It was like yeah. a 
big health club in LA and it was very celebrity um, driven. All the advertising, they had like, you know, whatever starlet of the year. We had Heather Locklear and people like that would be the spokesperson. Um, I worked on pavilions, grocery stores, um, Arrowhead Water. And, and back then, was it like you just would write for anything? Like you, you were just cool writing for any of those brands. You, you didn't, were you, were you sort of like, oh, I wish I was working on the bigger ones or? I didn't love the health club because, you know, it wasn't that, the work wasn't that interesting. Right. Um, Really and they had a set formula and you had to go, you had to go buy it. And yeah. I liked working on the grocery store. You could do, we did a lot of fun work on the grocery store. Like, you know, we do an ad promoting how many kinds of mustard they had or something like that. Right. Yeah. You don't see good grocery store ads anymore. No, you don't. They need that. That's yeah. a good assignment. Yeah. It was really fun. I love that account. Um, and how long were you at JWT? Uh, like a year and a half, maybe something like that. And how are you growing as a, as a, as a creative at this point? Are you okay, like, that was a really important stop for me because I had an ACD named Brandy French who was remarkable. She was a remarkable teacher. Um, and she really was like a teacher. I would write a piece of copy and I would go into her office and we'd sit at a little round table together and she would redline my copy in, but teach me in real time what she was doing and why. And she really taught me how to write ad copy, which is very different from prose, obviously. Mm. Um, and just to really push, she really taught me how to push myself and make things better and sharper. And I learned so much from her. And that really was the biggest gift of that stop at JWT was, was Brandy and everything I learned from her. Yeah. Um, what was it like being in the LA office of a big agency like that? Is it, they're usually smaller, right? Like the LA offices are, are smaller or was I'm it just sure as big as smaller New York? Than New York, but it was huge. Yeah. I mean, it was huge. So many people. And, you know, back then all agencies were integrated. There was no such thing as like a media agency or creative shop. It was right. like you were an agency, you had a huge media department, you had, yeah. you know, a huge creative department and production. Um, and again, you know, there was so much print back then that you needed a lot of other people. Yeah. Buyers. And everybody, what I loved about that era, and I came into it in like 92 uh, and really got into it in 94. I was at, at, at Kirschenbaum and having the media people and the, you know, the strategists and the, the, even the production people in the room with you when you're showing the ideas, um, just adding to it and, you know, uh, giving you ideas on how to make it better. Uh, so, so great. And I, I, I really did miss that when they, when they split it all up. It was, mm -hmm. it was so obvious that it was a bad idea. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things I love about Quigley is we're all together and I can call my counterpart over in media and say, hey, you know, could we do something like this? Is there a, yeah. a way that we could do this idea? And yeah. he's like, oh, that's cool. Let me go find, you know, yeah, let's do it like this. Yeah. Um, and I think it just makes for better work when you can talk to your media peers. Right. And then the, the other thing is this Brandy French sitting down with you and, and really spending the time 
to show you how to do something is like, I think so rare right now um, because of the time, I guess the, just the time constraints on things to, to yeah. learn on the job is, is very different these days. Yeah. You know, I'm so busy that I'm often just telling a writer what I like, don't like what's working. I try to talk about why, but I haven't really always had the time to really yeah. get into like why this works, why this doesn't work. And I think it is important. Yeah. I do try to do other kinds of coaching and stuff with my team. Um, it's more around soft skills. We're working on a lot of that kind of thing, soft skills and critical thinking and why these things matter and what they are. Yeah. Um, but in terms of just the craft of writing, um, I do think the ACDs are doing that level of work. Yeah. The, yeah. That's how that is the, the hardest job in advertising. I think that that level, uh, the ACD level, cause you're just like, you're, you're not really a boss, but you have all the responsibilities of one. Well, it's a good, it's, uh, it's trial by fire for yep. when you move up. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but, I mean, I'm, I'm so grateful to the ACDs on our team. Yeah. Yeah. How many people do you have at, at Quigley Simpson? In the, your, in the creative department. Well. Yeah. Creative department. I think we're up to about 16. When I first awesome. started, we had four or five. So it's incredible the growth that's been happening. That's awesome. That's yeah. great. Um, so you're at JWT, you're, you're finally learning to, to write. Uh, what, what, what does life get like at that point? So I still wanted to get to like a creative shop, you know, yeah. JWT was a very suit driven shop. Um, and there was that real dichotomy back in those days. I'm sure there still is, but um, you really felt, you know, an account driven shop versus a creative driven shop. Yeah. And my next job was at Della Femina. Oh, wow. And I have a really good story for you. <laughs> Jerry Della Femina. If people, a- people need to know uh, Jerry Della Femina out there. I mean, he it was such a character. Um, and he wrote a great book called um, uh, From Those Wonderful Folks Who Brought You Pearl Harbor, which was a headline that he showed to his Japanese client and got fired. <laughs> so that's what Jerry Delfamino was like. Go ahead. Tell your, tell your Jerry Delfamino. That's, that's it. It's like all of the agencies that were you know, formed in the kind of 70s yeah. um, were formed by people like this who were just incredible personalities. Yeah incredibly charismatic and talented and daring and it was yeah did i steal your story no we're gonna get oh, okay to okay good 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 i'm gonna tell you the story of my interview at della femina oh my god can't wait okay this is on my lunch hour right i'm just a peon i've got to scoot over from my office in century city um over to mid city mid wilshire where um um, where Delphine is across from the LA County Museum in the 5900 building, which is where a ton of agencies were. Okay. So there I am. I'm sitting in the lobby on my lunch hour, kind of like looking. It's taken me, you know, some time to drive over there and park, and I only have so much time to get back, you know. Um, and as I'm sitting there, kind of doing the math, I'm approached by a guy who asks me if I wouldn't mind. Um, playing along with a little gag that they have planned for the ECD that I'm about to interview with. So the ECD, (laughs) 
Oh, he used to be known as Richie Russo. I think he goes by Rich Russo now, and we're friends on Facebook. Richie, I'm sorry, I got to tell this story, man. It's too good. <laughs> so it was Richie's birthday on the day of my my uh, interview, and the writer who approached me is a friend of mine who now owns his own shop, but came up to me, introduced himself, lovely guy, such a wonderful guy, um, asked me to do a favor. It's Richie's birthday. And the creative department has hired a stripper for Richie's birthday who's going to show up any minute and pose as me for the interview. Oh, my God. So she and she comes in to the lobby in her little mini skirt carrying a little boom box. And the plan was she was going to go in and be me for my interview and tell Richie that she had just completed this awesome radio campaign and she really wanted to play it for him and hit play on the boom box and start stripping in my name. Oh my God. <laughs> and you say, sure. That I sounds fun. Like kids listening at home. This is obviously a very different time. It was, it really was a different time. I'm game. I don't want to be a spoil sport. Of course. Doesn't matter. I want this job. If I get the job, it won't matter if I'm an hour late from my lunch break. Um, so I say, sure, of course I'll, have at it. So off she goes, goes into Richie's office. I'm just sitting there in the lobby thinking, you know, trying to be a good sport, but it's a little weird. Yeah. Yeah. I'm an interview after this, like what state is this guy going to be in? And yeah, I'm, you know, I'm feeling what I'm feeling, trying to not be a jerk. Oh my God. Um, so anyway, they come to get me finally. They're like, thank you so much. You've been a great sport. Come on. It's, you know, now you can do your interview. <laughs> and they walk me back to the creative department. And the whole huge creative department is like in the corner outside Richie's office, laughing their asses off. Yeah. And they tell me, you know, okay, go on in. And I said, I don't really want to go in there alone. You guys have to come in too. Like, I don't want to go in alone. And so Richie says, everyone come in for my interview. Oh, my so God. A whole department. I must, there must have been 40, 50 people pile into the office. You know, the studio, the producers, everyone's in there. They're all laughing. Super fun. And they're <laughs> asking, are you doing an actual interview? Is he like, so tell me about so yourself. I'm for my interview. So I sit down and everyone quiets down. And Richie turns to me and he says, do you want the job? And I said, yeah, I want the job. And he said, you've been an awesome sport. It's yours. And I said, um, please sign this paper that says you won't sue us. <laughs> I said, come on, you don't want to ask me any questions. And he said, okay, what's your favorite football team? And I'm sitting next to Richie's partner, Marty, and she leans over and she tells me, I'm sorry, Richie, I can't remember if it's the Giants or the Jets, but he was from New York and it was one of those teams. Yeah. Whispers it to me and I say, the Giants. And he's like, you're hired. It's your job. So happy, happy. I can't believe it. I run back to my little desk at J. Walter Thompson and the phone is ringing and it's the headhunter going, what just happened? Like you were one of three people they were going to interview. Yeah. And I have two, two people left that have interviews scheduled and he's already hired you. Like what just happened? Yeah. That's amazing. 
It was, yeah. It was a different and, time. <laughs> <laughs> but the, when you saw the creative department, were you just like, that's a, that's a group I want to be with? Were they, were they different than, than sort of the... I know it sounds horrifying now, and it really is, and that's why it's a story. Yeah. That I tell you, because, I mean, my God. But everyone was amazing. It was not a misogynistic department. It was not a misogynistic agency. I didn't experience anything negative when I worked there. It was a thrilling experience for me. Yeah. Super creative work. Um, very close-knit team. Super fun. Yeah. It was really, really fun. And there were some just killer people working there that um that I could learn from too. Yeah. It so, was but it's like it's like an episode it sounds like an episode of Mad Men. It really I does. Know. It's real, kids. It's <laughs> that really happened, all that stuff on, <laughs> on Mad Men. Um and uh did you get to work with all your heroes when you were there? Um, well things changed really quickly. It's funny, I'm like very soon after I started, Rich moved back to New York. Um, we were acquired and uh. a series of people were brought in to be kind of interim creative directors. Yeah. So there was a lot of stuff going on politically, but I just dug in and I was just really excited to be there and work on Magic Mountain. I worked on Six Flags. Oh, wow. I worked on KCET. Um, which was super fun. These were all newspaper ads, but it was like a different show that you were promoting. Oh, wow. About, you know, aliens or dinosaurs or whatever. So it was just super fun to work on. Um, Who was your partner at that time? So I worked with a lot of different people. I don't actually remember who was my first partner, but some, there was a lot of like Mark Montero and and, uh, Rick Carpenter were there as a team and they left. So there was a lot of movement after those guys left. Yeah. Um, and some very senior people left in addition to them. So I started working with some of the ACDs. I worked with Kathy Shogren and Jeff Kamajian. Sorry, not Jeff Kamajian. Jeff Kahmeyer. Uh-huh. Jeff Kamajian was a different agency. Um, Patrick Aroff. Just a bunch of different people. Yeah. It was a very close-knit family. And- um, Delafamina was known for humor and, you know, outrageousness and just the, yeah. the, it was like the bad boy agency of the time. Yeah, it was super fun. I mean, they were doing, you know, Joey Suzu when I got there. So. Oh, yeah, Joey Suzu. Yeah. Um, what a great campaign. They, they brought it back um, after a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what, what, uh, where'd you go from there? Um, oh, this is a funny story. <laughs> Let's see. Um, I went to BBDO for five minutes. And what happened is I interviewed, I got the job. And then a friend of mine called me who was working at a very small shop called Shalik, the Shalik agency, which was doing really cool, fun work. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of like, you know, the creative boutique in LA at the time mm-hmm. and his partner was leaving. He wanted me to come work with him. So I actually gave the job back at BBDO. I never started. They took my picture. They got my bio. I had a start date. And then oh, no. we had to call and say, I'm not coming. Did you, was that a bridges burned or, or. No, actually Robert Chandler was the creative director who hired me and he, ended up calling me to do freelance for a long time after that. 
Oh, that's um, good. I am a freelancer. He always used to reach out and hire me. So um, Steve Hayden probably wasn't too happy with me, but Robert Chandler forgave me. <laughs> okay. And you got some freelance out of it too. How long did you freelance in the, in the middle of things? Um, I didn't freelance until after Shiat. So I'll just shortcut this. After Shalik, I only stayed at Shalik for a few months. And then I finally you got, got to your dream job. Did. So that's how long it took. It took a lot of hopping around. And how many years is that? Uh, maybe five years. Yeah. Five, six years. But you always had your eye on that prize of, I want to work at Shia Day. Totally. I want to work with Lee Clow. I want to work at the place that made 1984. Uh, and how'd you do it? How'd you get there? Were you writing the whole time? Like, hey, you got anything? Hey. No, it was just kind of, you know, Back then, I don't know if it's still this way because I haven't looked for a job in like decades, but um, headhunters really guided you, you yeah. know? Um, and I'm trying to remember which headhunter got me that job. At any rate, um, they would just, they would reach out with the opportunity that was right for you at that point in your career, but always. Yeah of getting you you know they were kind of there to nurture your whole career yep and um like this is the right move for you now and then um you know they're not going to send you to shy it if you're not ready for it or right for it right. although i argue i wasn't ready for it when you got there you were like uh-oh it was you know intense what was so intense about it you know it was huge first of all it had really grown at that point it was enormous and it's just, it's a, it was a very different standard. You, you know, I was working to uphold my own standards for myself, but it's really different than my first assignment with there was the back of the Dodger schedule for Nissan. Right. Writing a headline for the sponsorship of the Dodgers. And I wrote like, I'm not kidding you, like 50 headlines that were 40 of them were great. Fine. Nice. Yeah. Not good enough, you know, wow. doing over 40. And so it's it just, it was like. Shy at day and night, they used to call it. Shy at day and night, man, it was. And I think, um, I, you know, it taught me a lot, taught me how to generate a shit ton of work. Yeah. How to be fast and how to keep going. And, you know, you, you really have to build up some stamina to work there. Yeah. So it taught me stamina. You've got to have creative stamina. I mean, ask any good creative who's on round 11 of their Super Bowl spot or of their car launch spot or whatever. Yeah. It's standard. You know, you've got to keep going back to the well and coming back with things that are not bad. Right. It has to get at least as good, if not better. It can't go in the other direction. The more yeah. You, you know. It's so but, hard to keep up those standards uh, yeah. over and over again, round after round. Yeah. And the workload was on, like on another level, like how much work you take on. Cause you also, you know, you go around begging for scraps cause you might not be working on the plum assignments. So you kind of, you know, ask other people, can I, you know, do you have anything for me? And it's the way that you get extra stuff to do. Yeah. It means working really hard. And, and really late and long hours. Yeah. I mean, um, I worked every weekend for like, you know, the first nine months. Wow. Something crazy. It was crazy. And you loved it. 
I didn't actually. Oh, you didn't? You didn't like working the weekend? I loved being there. I loved, you know, I learned so much. Um, but it wasn't a good environment for me. I think I just, I didn't have the confidence I needed at that time in my life mm. to be in that kind of environment. I didn't have the courage of my own convictions and I didn't have my voice yet. Yeah. Um, and I think also like one of the big things that people have to develop in this industry is understanding notes and how, where to go when you get notes. Mm. And especially if people speak a little bit in riddles or that, you know, they're very lofty and how they talk about the work, knowing how to come out of that room and what to do. Oh, wow. can be really tough. And I see this sometimes in my own team too. You know, a lot of voices talk in a room yep. about work and it gets more and more abstract and they walk out and they're just like, what just happened? I don't know what to do next. Um, and if you don't have a good mentor, you know, to really walk you through, like, what did they say? What, is, what should I be doing? Yeah. Now, if you're on your own in that kind of environment, it can be really harsh. What's so, your advice for people that are, that are sitting there in that situation? Ask questions. You've got to find friends. You've got to find a mentor, somebody that you can go to, to say who was in the room with you to say, mm -hmm. I'm a little foggy right now. Can you tell me what you heard? Or can I tell you what I heard? Can you help me sort through like a way forward path? Yeah. And I think it's really important not to, not to jump to conclusions about what you, and not to feel like you have to know. Cause a lot of, I think a lot of young people, sometimes they'll be like, no, uh, I know what to do. And, and they sort of run off and they, and they go down the wrong hike or they get frustrated. Yeah. I worry if people aren't asking questions. Right. They totally understand, you know, ask Maybe. a lot of questions, be okay being the dummy. Yeah. It's... Okay being the dummy is good <laughs> so you didn't love Shayate after all that, like, I love things. That was about your dream. I loved things about it. Yeah. But it wasn't right for me in that moment. It just yeah. wasn't, it wasn't healthy probably. For me. Yeah. And it I do think the, the Shayate and night and the, the long hours and the weekends, sometimes it's a, it's a crutch that like, it just becomes this like legend and then people just like, Oh, well, we're shy day and night. So see you on Saturday. Um, and it's just too easy almost sometimes to, to, I'm not saying they're still like that, but like an agency that is like that tends to stay like that because it's just expected when it might not be needed on every assignment. Yeah. I, I firmly believe you can have a brilliant idea in the first 30 minutes of concepting. Yeah might also not have a brilliant idea after two weeks and you do have to keep pushing. Yeah. And um, sometimes you have to keep pushing after six o'clock because you've been in meetings and you have other tasks. So you do have to stay, yeah. but it shouldn't be a culture right. for, you know, just because absolutely not. Right. Uh, so what, what happens after that? How'd you get to Quigley Simpson? When'd you find that? Shyatt, I, I have to say I was a little disillusioned, you know, given the that whole that, industry. That was like my holy grail. And then I got there and it wasn't the experience I wanted. Although, again, I learned so much and I still carry what I learned with me. Yeah. And I, you know, I still carry the standards that I developed there with me. Yeah. Um, and the standards I absorbed there. But I just needed some freedom. So I went freelance for a lot of reasons. It allowed me to travel. Whenever I wasn't working, I did a lot of traveling. Um, I made a lot more money. Yeah. 
Because you had things in your book already, right? That were that were good, and and you know that's when you can freelance. When you you shown your you shown your stuff, people know you're a you're a known quantity. Now you can sort of cash in on things. Yeah, it really does. It shows you that like, oh my god, I could be making so much more money. At a certain point in your career, it definitely works where you can go freelance. At least back then, and you know, if yeah. you have a network, you need the network. Yes. Um, and that's why you have to be nice to everybody. I mean, I think you should be nice to everybody because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. But I mean, there's, there's the karmic retribution of like, you're not going to get a job if you're, if you're an asshole. In this a lot place. of assholes were getting a lot of jobs back then. Uh, but luckily, the tenor of our, of our culture has changed and people know they need to be nice. Yeah. I feel like I've always been nice. It's important yeah. to me. It's how I was raised. Um, and life's too short you know, cause extra ugliness. I agree. Um, yeah, so I was freelance for a very long time. And what happens when you're freelance, if you ever want a job, you should just go freelance because what happens when you're freelancing is people love you and they want you to work for them. And then you get job offers without looking or interviewing or any of that. But it yeah. becomes very weird when that's your path for a really long time. I can't remember the last time I interviewed for a job. Um, but that's what happened at Quigley. A very good friend brought me in to freelance. And um, I had wonderful rapport with the ECD at the time. My favorite ECD of all time, actually. Love that guy. What was his name? Desmond Burroughs. Yeah, so I just, I really loved him. And um, it, what was was it what was Quigley Simpson known for? Quigley Simpson was known for DRTV, honestly. I mean, that was their, their DNA was mm -hmm. um, DRTV performance marketing. Mm -hmm. And I had a little bit of a hand in that through freelance. I kind of fell into more direct response at mm -hmm. places like DDB and RPA. I was working in more of their direct departments, doing a lot of direct mail and email and things like that. So I had a little bit of that under my belt. Mm -hmm. And so I knew how to do the kind of work they were doing. Um, we have since grown to really <laughs> be much broader in our, in our expertise. And it really, I mean, honestly, they started this idea of um, brand response where you're yeah. not driving acquisition, but you're also building the brand. That's really always been their sweet spot. Mm -hmm. um, but we have really dialed that up in a lot of our more recent work. and. Um, take great pride in the fact that we can drive a business outcome, but also help build brands and do really creative work. Yeah. What are some of the things that, what are some of the ones that right now you, you think people should uh, look at? And um, I'm really proud of some of the work that we've done in the face of this pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, literally like the week before we stopped coming to the office, I was about to get on a plane to Bali to go shoot a major campaign for one of our travel rewards credit cards. Mm -hmm. um, it was what we had been doing. We would travel the world and shoot, you know, these great stories around travel that were empowered by this card. And obviously that wasn't going to happen. So all of that work got put immediately on hold. Like you could hear the sound of the brakes. Yeah. <laughs> You're um, not going to Bali. That's for sure. Yeah shoot yeah um 
the funny thing is, you know, I know a lot of brands paused their advertising, but when you're in the acquisition business, you can't stop. Still have to sell credit cards. Yeah. So, you know, our client was very smart about pivoting as well and offering people new ways to earn um, the currency for whatever card we're talking about. We work sure. on several. But, you know, Chase, I give a lot of credit to Chase for pivoting and offering people a lot of value for the things they were buying. So right. and be earning on flights or on hotel stays. But we did a lot of work to support this initiative of like helping people earn a ton of points on groceries or gas or takeout. Yeah. That's kind of what we started to do, but we did need to get back to really instilling and inspiring and reminding people of their love for travel and not giving up on travel. Yeah. We did a lot of fun initiatives um, like dance parties. We partnered with Daybreaker to bring dance parties into people's homes that were themed around different destinations. Oh, that's great. Learning the hula um, to celebrate Hawaii and the salsa um, for Miami and Bollywood dancing. Um, And so we created a lot of really fun materials to go along with these events, like backgrounds. And we created packing lists so people could pack for their trip to India. Yeah. you know, and just to bring joy into people's lives and into people's homes. Yeah. Like what I what I love about uh, direct, and I worked at Damasimo Goldstein, and that was sort of our uh, you know inspire. We call it inspiring action, but um, it you know it's th- that idea of like it's not just about getting the sale, but it's about you know saying something. And I I think yes, uh, one of the great things about direct response is you have these real people that you're that your the brand is literally talking to that you can reach out to uh yeah. and use in your campaigns and and they're 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 always willing to sort of do stuff with you because they love your brand. Yeah. Um I, I think that's fun. We have a great new thing happening this month just launched the beginning of this month. Um we partnered with HelloFresh. But the idea really generated at the from the agency which was um, you know, a lot of people are cooking right yeah. now because they're not, they weren't going to restaurants, but also it was a way, it was a creative outlet for a lot of us. Yeah. Um, it was also a way to travel, you know, uh-huh. a way to kind of experience the flavors that we might be missing from trips we couldn't take. So we came up with this idea of what's, what we're calling tastecations, which uh-huh. is to bring, um, through HelloFresh to bring people special menu items that they can cook at home. And we're providing with that package, you know, with that box that you're getting with the ingredients, a lot of background and tips of how to, you know, bring out the Italy or the England or the Korea on your table. And so it's really celebrating this wonderful desire people have to escape, but doing it through cooking at home. That's cool. And I, I like how you take the, the ability to take that sort of um, that storytelling and put it into an experience that people can have in their homes. Uh, that's what I love about direct. And I started in direct and I'm, I'm a big fan of, of learning that as a, as a, a lot of people think it's a dirty word, but I think it's like, it is what the internet is right now. It's what, it's what Instagram certainly is. Um, and. Uh, and I think it's the maybe the purest form of of communication from a brand because it's coming directly to from them. 
and it's going directly into their homes. Yeah. You know, as you say, I mean, it's a, like the, the epitome of direct, but at the same time, it really is supporting the brand, which is all about the good and the importance of travel. Yeah. And then the, the, the ability to, you know, make sure that the brand is a right tone and voice around that experience, I think is, is important because, you know, the, why direct has that bad connotation is it had those bad people that would just be like, well, whatever works, let's just make it red, <laughs> you know? Um, so, uh, so the, the fact that there are, there are, you know, more tasteful agencies that, that do it, um, uh, especially these days is great. And, and you're certainly one of those. Yeah. We, we work very hard to, maintain the integrity of the brand, even in an acquisition piece. Um, so how can people reach out and, and, and talk to you and show you their stuff? And, and are you looking for people? Not looking for people right now, but I am always here to, to help people who are, you know, in the process of working on their book, if they want feedback or pointers on interviews or whatever, I'm happy to help. Um, and she'll tell you if it sucks. She's not going to just tell you, keep going. I'm because it doesn't help you to just say, just keep going. Yeah. You need to know the reality. Yeah. So yeah, they can reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to, um, or email me at the agency. Okay. What's the email address? It's Soraya, S-A-R-I-A-H-D, as in dog, at quigleysimpson.com. Great. Yeah. It's important that we open the door for others, you know? Yeah. That's and, what this that's what this podcast is all about and what uh what Ad House is all about and and um you know we're we're going to have plenty of students that are going to be hearing this and and they'll uh they'll definitely be hitting you up but uh but hopefully others will too. Happy to help. Uh but it was great to meet you Soraya and and uh if, if next time I'm in LA if this ever ends uh I will swing by and say hi. Great, Tom. Thank you so much. Soraya Dorbin of Quigley Simpson. What a great story. She seems like a nice person. I'd like to meet her someday. This has been the A-List Podcast. We're uh, brought to you by Ad House Advertising School. I'm your host, Tom Chrisman. You can find me at tomchrisman.net. Thanks for listening. Hey, please subscribe to our show wherever you listen. And if you could leave a review, it would be really helpful for us to reach more ad nerds. The music you're hearing is from Ross Hopman over at duotoneaudio.com. Have a great day, everybody.